0: And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast. Hey, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. This week's guest is Ryan Baldock. Ryan is an engineer, a real estate investor. He lives in Southern Maine. Really great guy. We're going to dig into his journey from working a W-2 day job while scaling a portfolio of multifamily properties to over 100 units and counting. Ryan, hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today.
2: Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah, it's it. It's
1: our pleasure. Well, Ryan, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your background, all that good stuff.
2: All right, who I am, I would have to say that I'm a dad. So I've got three boys. I've got a wife, Leah. So yeah, we all live in southern Maine, engineer by trade. So I've been doing that for 15, 20 years, and that's been a pretty decent career. Then got started into real estate much later than I would like to, and much later than all these people I see on Instagram and bigger pockets and all that stuff. So I think I was almost 37 or 38 before I bought my first investment property, you know, a few years ago. And then since then, kind of started partnering, working on other stuff, you know, done some syndications on the LP side, you know, blending my money out, and then been using other people's money to do BRRRS locally, and then partnering with some of the people out of state. And got a few different type of deals going on now too, you know, expanding our horizons, or I've got, you know, Sparkly object syndrome, one or the
1: other. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Tell us why uh, you kind of got into real estate. You know, midway through your career, let's say, what drew you to it?
2: Having income not based off of billable hours—that's kind of like my biggest thing. Is yeah, like I'm in engineering now, and everything in there or services industry is completely based off of. You get paid on how many hours you can bill to a client. You know, there are ways to make more money, but that's the majority of your income, and the fact that I can uh, get money for, you know, investing in something and then have it make me money whether I'm there or not, you know, whether I'm putting in 50 hours or sometimes if I only put in 2 hours, you know, I'm still going to get paid regardless of, you know, overtime and things like that in a way to grow wealth and hopefully eventually get some time freedom.
1: Yeah, I love it. I think that's a big goal of a lot of people is to be able to be in a position where they're quitting trading their time for money and instead being able to scale and grow that passive income side of their lives, right? So
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's where I'm trying to go. It's gotten a little better too at the W two side with our group that's been growing, but definitely not as much as you know, I'd like from the real estate aspect of it where, you know, the asset just continues to grow and things like that. And you look in your net worth just going up with the more properties that you have.
1: Yeah. It's kind of funny to see the people who transition into real estate investing are rarely you know, real estate by education folks right there. I see a lot of engineers, accountants, medical professionals, etc. So what do you think it is that drew you to real estate investing specifically? Are you a big numbers guy? Are you analytical? Are you outgoing? you do like sales? like what is it that kind of is your strong suit in the game? If you will, yeah,
2: I love running numbers. So I mean, that's like my addiction is like trying to figure out, you know, returns, cash on cash, and then just analyzing properties and doing that. And I do like talking with sellers, you know. In work, I've kind of developed more into business development. So I do like if I'm excited about something, I can talk about it a lot. If it's not something you think I'm the biggest introvert in the world. If it's not like real estate or business or things like that, you know. If I'm at an engineering conference (laughs) nowadays, it's like I'm not even really talking much because it's like. That's not as much as a passion anymore, you know, like getting into the weeds and engineering at some of these conferences. But if I'm at a real estate conference, then, you know, I'm talking all the time about stuff.
1: Yeah, sure. Talk us through that kind of very first real estate purchase. Here you are in your mid 30s, you know, well established in your career. And you think, hey, I really want to build some passive income and stop trading my time for dollars. So you go out and you do what? What was your first step?
2: At that time, I had kind of been just become a newly single dad. So I had two boys. I don't know at that time. Maybe five years ago. So it's probably like ten and six at that time. And I was renting at the time, and I just I started listening to Bigger Pockets, and I just got that idea of like, oh my god, I'm paying all this money out and you know renting a place to live. I could jump into a house hack. So I immediately was like, I'm going to go buy a multi unit and live in it. You know, and at first I was looking at two units, and then all of a sudden the numbers didn't line up exactly the way I wanted. So then I just jumped into a four unit right away. So I bought a house hack four unit and, you know, I was able to get an FHA financing at that time. Yeah. So it was 3% down. I ended up using my 401k as a loan from my 401k. Right. Yep. So I got that in my checking account in like six or seven days and that was my down payment. So I had no money out of pocket and kind of moved in there. And from day one, I mean, the rent's I took over the biggest unit, but the rents with me living there were, you know, 3,000 or 3,100 and the mortgage with taxes and insurance ended up being like $2,300.
1: Oh, wow. So you're still so, cash flowing while living for free even.
2: Right. Yeah. So it was like 800, you know, above the uh, mortgage tax and insurance. And I, you know, the utilities were paid for. So, yeah, I mean, I went from, you know, paying 16, 1700 out of pocket in rents and utilities to now making 800 So, it's like a $2,500 a month swing, you know, with no money out of pocket that way. So, that's like 30,000 a year raise if you looked at it that way. Yeah, I know. And, you know, if you had taxes onto that, it's like making 45 grand before taxes, you know, and then having that taken out just by moving from a rental house into a four unit, no yard or nothing. But man, I love that
1: strategy too. I think that's like such an achievable what am I trying to say? Like approach to your very first investment property, right? Going out and buying that two to four unit because it qualifies for the FHA financing, which is the low down payment, living in one unit, renting out the others. I like that you drew from your 401k. A lot of people might feel a lot of reservation around that, but I think that's a creative way for a lot of people who are in that working professional kind of category. You know, They've probably got a 401k and a lot of people don't realize that you can access that money to buy a property like that through a couple of different ways, right? You said you borrowed from your 401k, so you still have to pay it back, but awesome, yeah. awesome strategy.
2: Yeah, it was paid back in six months. So, I, you know, or six or seven months of, you know, saving that much money. It only needed 15 grand to pull out for a $350,000 house. Fantastic.
1: So, so you do that, you think, Hey, this is pretty cool. I just, you know, changed the trajectory of my financial picture. You know, you have a $2,500 a month swing and you're just personal finances. So, You probably thought, hey, I want to do this again. What did that next step look like?
2: Yeah, I did want to do that. I ended up moving out of there into my home now that I'm living in now in my basement. So from there, I was still looking for more. I mean, everyone at that time, it was 2017, now 2018. And everyone was still saying, oh, it's too, don't buy, don't buy. Everything's overpriced, you know. And meanwhile, that house is, that 350 is now just got appraised for 615. So another one, I was in Florida, I think working and a realtor said, Hey, I can go look at this other one in the neighboring town. So he went there, looked at it, did a little video chat and I said, okay, throw an offer in. And we threw an offer in, first offer in, I went above asking, I think for all of my first couple, even back then. And we locked that one down. That was about a year after that first one. So yeah, I I picked up another four unit a year after that.
1: And how were you financing those first few deals? Was it you know just saving up money, saving the down payment, pretty straightforward, or was, it, was there any creative component to it?
2: Well, I had paid back the 401k the first time, yeah. so then I borrowed against it again mm-hmm. for a portion of the down payment, and then I used the savings that I'd been having from house hacking, and then I had some bonus money from the engineering had started to be profitable. The business unit. So I used some of that, but then I didn't know some of the nuances of the 401k loan. So I actually had to come up with an extra 15 grand than I expected because there's a limit of 50 grand that you can pull out. So I thought, all right, I paid back the 15, I can pull out 50. And then they're like, well, no, you can only pull out whatever 50 minus your 12 month balance, your highest of 12 months. So I could only pull out 35. And I found that out like right before closing. So I had to scramble to. Pull a few funds out of other places to get that down payment. Yeah, um, yeah. So I had to come up with yeah, like it was total like ninety grand because that one was like three sixty as well. It was like a hundred grand or so to to come up with on that one conventional down awesome. payment.
1: So at this point, you've got a few multifamilies under your belt. What's your goal in life at this point? You know, you're probably thinking this is okay. This can become something. I've got my W two over here. I've got this real estate that's growing on the side. What path are you taking? You know, what's kind of your approach?
2: I mean, still at that time, I was like, I'll buy one a year for 10 years type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that would be the way I'd go. And I, you know, I've been hearing about low and no money down and this burr concept. And to me, that was just like, that is way too risky. You know, I'll never use other people's money or, you know, not just pay a full down payment and ride it out. Like, I just didn't understand that concept at the time. So, to me, now looking back, the way I was doing it was more risky than, you know, actually buying things under value and then fixing them up and getting all your money back out. So, let's talk about that.
1: Let's talk about that, that model and what you do now and what kind of properties are you targeting and what's your approach? Are you buying, holding them? You know, talk about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I bought another four unit next door to my first one, like another year after that. And then I finally was like, Broke. I mean, I just got sick of being broke (laughs) every 12 months because I had no more money. So I took out HELOCs on everything and then went into a smaller market where I could get a much lower price point for my entry point. So then I started buying at that time, you can't do it anymore. 20, right when COVID happened, you know, houses for 50. I bought a house for 36 grand (laughs) at that point. And then that one rented for almost $1,200. Like, right away. Right. So that one was just crazy. And then I bought like another one for 49 grand and then turned it into a duplex. So, yeah, I started doing the Burr method where we'd buy them very undervalued or under rented and then immediately bought them with cash and then he immediately fixed them up or just got renters in there and then started a refinance and then get all the money out. So, as of now, I have no money of my own in real estate. It's all been pulled out, you know, or recycled back into other deals.
1: Explain why you like that model and what that allows you to do. Because maybe somebody's sitting at home thinking, wow, I mean, you know, they might be thinking where you were at one time, I don't want to, you know, use other people's money. And I want to pay off these properties as fast as possible and put as large of a down payment on them and etc. So talk about how you went from that kind of a mentality to where you're at now.
2: Just started thinking about like the velocity of money. And, you know, how quickly can I get my money back? You know, it was a lot of just mindset type things and being around other people that I got in some masterminds and groups that focused on, you know, growth and things like that. But after I bought that third four unit, you know, I was, that's a lot of money to put in down payments. I was like, yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd buy it. Then I'm broke. And then I, if repairs came up, you know, I was like, where am I going to find this money? So then I, like I said, getting around other people and they're like, oh, I'm just going to buy 10 properties this year. And I'm like, how the heck do you do that? They're like, oh, I'll use other people's money and then I'll buy them, fix them up and uh, refinance them. So I just did it with HELOCs. I just took out on those three previous properties. I had already got, when I did a HELOC, I think I ended up with almost a quarter of a million in HELOC money. So like 250 grand to deploy. And then I partnered with a good friend of mine who kind of did the same thing. So we were able to deploy quite a bit of money just from properties that we had just personally bought that appreciated in value without ever touching anything else. So we were using, using money from the existing properties.
1: So you kind of figured out the importance of this velocity of money. And really what that means to us, real estate investors is keeping your equity in the money you do have at work and buying more properties and generating more cash flow. If you think about a dollar, like a soldier, if you will, right. It's got to go out and perform a task or, you know, a dollar as an employee, it's got to go out and earn a return on its existence, right? So exactly. you mentioned HELOC. Most people probably know what that is. That's a home equity line of credit. I've done that. And I've also done refinances. I know you have as well. Talk about those, compare and contrast them. What do you like better? Why'd you do a HELOC as opposed to refinancing the property? Do you have any approach there?
2: Yeah, just because It was kind of too early and, you know, actually refinancing can get pretty expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, The HELOC is a pretty quick way at that time, especially. I got 80% loan to value on my investment properties back then. I think I got 90% loan to value on my primary as well. So I was able to just leverage that, you know, equity in there rather than completely refinancing and locking in. So for this particular starting out, you know, I, didn't really understand. I didn't think there was enough equity there to completely refinance and cash out. So I just figured I'd leverage what equity I had in a very short period of time and then just keep getting it's like a credit card with a yeah, line right. of credit. <laughs> so I just pull out 60 grand, buy a house or fix it up, and then put the money back in as soon as we refinance. So it was typically we'd both throw in whatever 60 grand each, and then once it was done, put the money right back in and then Pretty much we'd have, you know, 30% equity with no money in the deal and like six or seven straight properties doing it that way.
1: Let's talk about how you managed to do all this with a W-2 income job. You know, you're an engineer at this time, you're managing your own business unit at your firm, you're a busy guy. And then at the same time, you're doing all this on the side. Tell us about how you're managing that and then what was motivating you to do all of that. that's two full-time jobs plus, you know, and, you know, top being a dad and a husband and all the other personal life you've got.
2: Yeah. It's not easy. Like, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's gotten to a point now where it, it's a little more difficult early on. You know, I just recently got married and had my third son, you know, since then it's gotten even more difficult before it was kind of just me and my two older boys. And, half the time they'd be at their mom. So I just, I would jam in, you know, two weeks of work into one full week. And then when I was with them, I was with them. And then it was just kind of a lot of sleepless nights and, uh, you know, trying to get that time freedom and trying to, you know, control time. So now that's kind of like the biggest thing now I'm trying to do is not let this, everything consume my time. Cause yeah, for a couple of years, there was, very, very, very difficult to, you know, have some personal life with the amount of responsibilities in engineering and then in real estate, it hasn't been easy to say the least.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it's important to hear that candid honesty from you. One thing, Ryan, I realized a little later on in my real estate investing career early on, I just like everybody else, right? Like, Hey, this real estate thing is really cool. It can allow me to quit my job. And then, you know, I've got a plan. I'm going to work my day job for another few years. As an engineer, coincidentally enough, too. But as time goes on, I find that that W two day job is an asset in itself because it helps you qualify for more loans. It shows you know you've got a steady income. It makes you lendable from you know a lender's perspective to kind of grow that real estate portfolio. What's your take there? Do you agree? Is that why you're kind of still doing both? Or yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it's very well compensated, and like you said, I mean, I'm able to sign on things for. Partner with stuff too. So I can bring the money to a deal now and be the guy who signs, you know, versus, you know, having to do all the work. So that's, you know, they look at me as, yeah, that W 2 is like the holy mecca of what uh, loan officers look at. Even though you could have a million dollars coming in in real estate each year, but if you've got, you know, 200 grand in W 2, they're just like, oh my God, it's kind of weird how they look at things like that. But no, it's definitely extremely helpful. And if you can do both, you know, it comes to a point of like how much is your time worth? And are you actually growing in that W-2 or, you know, in that other life? And is it taking away from how much you could do real estate wise? And you got to kind of offset it with taxes. You know, you kind of look at all that stuff. If now my wife helps me out and stuff too. So she's real estate professional, which can help offset some of my income. So it makes a little bit more sense. But if I didn't have that you know, is making that as much money as, you know, I'm making over there in engineering. If I put that on an hourly basis, you know, how much taxes I have to pay on W-2 versus not paying any in real estate, that's something else to look at too, is like how much is your time worth and how much are you paying in taxes by still working that W-2?
1: You've mentioned this concept of time freedom a couple of times. What exactly does that mean to you? I think it's a mythical creature at this point, but... uh,
2: (laughs) No, I mean, I'm working towards it. And I think it's a mindset shift that I've got to get into as well. You know, when you get that busy for that many years, it's sometimes it's tougher to pull your foot off the brake. You almost get addicted to that kind of going, 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 going. So the time freedom for me would be where I could not have to feel like I'm showing up for other people, I guess. Like I don't really have a boss right now, Mm -hmm. but I've got you know 12 engineers. And if I'm If I don't feel like I'm pulling my weight and they're out there working weekends and you know what I mean? So even if they're not my boss, I still feel that obligation to make sure that I'm there and that I'm pulling my weight to ensure that the team's still profitable and everybody still has a great career. So the time freedom aspect would be like, okay, it's, you know, I'm just going to get done whatever I need to get done on Monday and then I can have the rest of the week or confine it to a couple hours a day. I don't think I'll be to the point where I could just say. All right. Yeah. I'm not working for doing anything. You know what I mean? Because I still enjoy deals. I still enjoy that aspect of it. uh, Looking at properties and things like that or networking, but just being able to not feel that pull from other people that you've got to be there or have that ass and seat time, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, No, that makes a lot of sense. I can resonate that uh, with that as well. Ryan, when people are getting started on their real estate investing journey, there are some kind of common milestones. One thing that you see a lot of people strive for is maybe getting into that first house hack, right? And covering their living expenses. For most people, their housing cost is their biggest monthly expense. So if you can get that covered and say you do something like you did, house hack a fourplex, now you're living for free, maybe making a little money. That's like a big first milestone. I feel like maybe the next one out there is financial freedom people define that differently, but I would just summarize it as when your passive income exceeds your living expenses, allowing you to, in theory, live, you know, your kind of day-to-day life without having to earn an income. That's a milestone I'm still kind of maybe striving for, maybe at. I don't know. I just kind of, I don't really have that super defined. Sounds yeah. like maybe you've, maybe you've hit that, but you're kind of accelerating beyond that milestone. What's kind of next for you? And do, do uh, you see that common? do you agree with me on that approach?
2: No. Yeah. That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. You, like I even get a taste of it at first. You just kind of like, Oh wow. An extra, whatever this a month, that's crazy. I could pay for my car payment. Yeah. right. And then, you know, and then as you're going, it's like, yeah, I, I would like everything paid for this way. I mean, at this point in the game, it's always hard. Cause like now we just sold, we're selling three places as well. Some of those early burrs that just now mm-hmm. with the way the market is like the amount of equity in them. So we're redeploying that. So it's kind of hard to always put a finger on what is the cash flow at any point in time.
1: Exactly. Um, Yeah.
2: But yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably close to my base salary and income from real estate. So I could probably never work again, I guess. But at this point, I'm pretty conservative at some level. I would like to have, you know, probably, you know, another 10K on top of that in income in order to just completely feel like, all right, now if anything happens, I'll be okay. So I've been kind of stacking things up. Like I said, I mentioned you did all these refinances. I just refinanced out of four properties. The first four, my personal and the three that I bought originally, I was able to refi cash out of those is what got me out of no money in real estate. And so I'm sitting on something pretty good there that could carry me quite a long ways, but I'm just giving it a little bit more time to see it's just being a wimp, but you know, I'm, just, I, you know, I'm like just giving it more time. I do kind of, I still enjoy, you know, the engineering business unit and stuff like that. I have a great, great team, so it's hasn't come to the to a head yet. But you know, if all of a sudden, you know, we've got a bunch of deals that come in and we're making another ten or fifteen grand a month in cash flow, does it really make sense to still put in forty hours over here? You know.
1: And people have coined this thing we're talking about as FIRE: financial independence, retire early. That's an acronym you'll see out there by a lot of people. And there are different ways to do that. There's lean FIRE. There's fat FIRE. Yeah, Ryan, you and I could probably quit our day jobs today and live just fine if we were good with you know living under a bridge or in a twenty-five thousand dollar house in rural Maine, uh, yeah. eating rice and beans and skateboarding around town, right? Like, yeah, we could yeah. Make, we could make ends meet. But maybe that's not what we want to do. Maybe we have a little bit more of an abundance mindset, and we want to live a fulfilling life, whatever that means to us, right? So I think the longer you can kind of keep your foot on the gas and push, I think for me, that's kind of my personal approach. How about you? Yeah,
2: no, same thing. I mean, I used to be of the Dave Ramsey approach, you know, early on. And then when I was still having that one property, and I was just house hacking and, you know, kind of single, I was into that fire movement pretty pretty heavily. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to cut this out. I'm going to cut that out. And, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm like, no, now I'm complete opposite. Now it's like you said, the abundance thing. And, you know, I don't want to have to think about every single purchase or things like that, you know, and I still want to be able to live a lifestyle where I can go on vacation multiple times a year, you know, and not just have a, you know, one day trip for a vacation. If I was not working, definitely changed over, you know, it's developed over the flat years. So as far as fat fire, I would say, yeah, I'm even above from my properties. I love it. And investments.
1: Brian, there are two things I've seen you do that I think are relatable and I want to get your uh, take on them. One is you got started in an expensive market with this multifamily house hack. There are probably people out there thinking, yeah, I would love to do that house hack thing. It just doesn't work where I'm at. I'm in an expensive market. Things don't cash flow or whatever you're in Southern Maine. I'm familiar with the market. We're oddly enough, as far removed as I am here in Houston, Texas. We talked, my wife's from South Portland, Maine. So I've been up there quite a bit. It's an expensive market, but you still made a way to make it work. So maybe speak to how you did that and make that relatable to people who are in a position like you. And then secondly, you're also in a pretty geographically remote area, Uh, Maine's got a pretty small population. I can't imagine it's thriving with a bunch of heavy hitter real estate investors in your kind of hometown, if you will. So, talk about the way uh, masterminding and getting around people who are doing what you're doing has played a role in your success. So, kind of two parts there.
2: Yeah. I mean, as far as like the expensive market, yeah, that's why I was trying to do the FHA. I mean, right now, if you're on market, it's kind of tough, you know, as far as trying to find, you know, something that an FHA, would be accepted because I know when I'm selling, I've sold a couple things, you know, flips and things like that too, where it's like, if somebody's going to offer me cash, I'm going to take that over an FHA buyer right now. Yeah, right. So that is kind of a little bit different. But now too, with if you're going to try to house hack, I mean, there's so many different ways out there. Now, if some people are like, they can Airbnb stuff or yeah, that's Furnish great. Finder or, you know, Airbnb rooms, or just actually get roommates. I mean, you know, you could buy a four unit, and if it was you lived in a three-bed, you could rent out everything and then still rent out the other bedrooms in your apartment that you're gonna live in. Or if you're handy, buy something that's a little bit of a fixer-upper, but just compare that to what the rents are. And I mean, to me, it's once I started doing it, I'm like, I can't believe everybody doesn't do this. I mean, now nobody wants to probably have to go live, you know, with their tenants and things like that, but just the where it set me off at that point. It was by far the best move I've made, you know, in real estate. And it's still my kind of my favorite rental. But yeah, and then from that getting around other people and masterminds, yeah, it's just, you know, when you're, you know, Maine's rural, it can be. Southern Maine's kind of populated. You know, I think in the metro market where we're at, there's like five hundred thousand people. And there's like a million in the entire state. So once you get north, there's not anywhere near as many people. But there are small areas where a city might, a city, 20 or 30,000 people, you know, but then every surrounding town has to go there. So the actual area is much larger. And, you know, there are some competitive advantages that I have there, just being that I know the area. I can pull out a pretty good Maine accent when I want. And, uh, So that was good. But as far as like I said, the masterminds and getting around people, coaching, I've kind of done all of that. Like I said, I was of that, definitely not abundance. I was didn't believe in debt, didn't believe in anything, high expenses, spending money on things, especially on like coaching or masterminds. To me, that seemed like a waste of money. But there's nobody really I could talk to a lot of people of around me that would agree with all the things I'm doing or talk about money. The way I can with people in, say, a mastermind or things like that, where it's like taboo in real life, but then if you get around other investors and things like that, you just talk about, oh yeah, I make this. This is how much money. This is the deal. This is what happened. This is much we cash flow. This is the equity. And oh, I'm going to throw in this much money on that deal and borrow money over here. And people are like, oh, well, I'm doing this, and it just opens your minds to so many things that before. Sounded like a horrible idea before you knew any information about it. Like I bought a nine unit up North recently and instead of burrowing it, I just didn't put any money down at all. You know <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I found that out from groups. I got the owner to sell or finance it and then found a lender that would accept the owner's 20% as my down payment. I went to, I bought a nine unit property for $0 out of pocket that immediately cash flowed. So And now I'm looking to do a bunch of things up there, like a solar farm up there on that property and stuff like that to completely offset the, yeah, completely offset the utilities. And then I'm getting it appraised to have the bank finance it, all the expenses and then cash out of it. You know, just stuff that I would never have thought of doing, or that was possible until I was networking with people that do this sort of stuff all the time.
1: Yeah. I love that. So two takeaways from that is you can boil that down to say, you know, there's a lot of ways to get started in an expensive market. You threw out a couple ideas. Now you've got short term rentals. You can uh, not only house hack the other units, but house hack bedrooms. If you're a younger person, you know, maybe a new college graduate or somebody, you know, single or, you know, you don't have kids yet, it makes it a lot easier to, you know, rent out some rooms to your roommates and then rent out other units and, you know, really push the kind of push the acceleration on that house hack model. I think it's really important, likewise, Ryan, you know, to get around people who are maybe a few steps ahead of where you want to be, right? And learning from them. You know, you kind of went from this, let's call it Dave Ramsey mindset to now more of like a we'll call it fat fire mindset or even beyond it. You know, just abundance mentality. And you know, you probably gain that mindset through being around people who are already doing that and kind of open your eyes to, well, no, there's this other world over here. And meanwhile, you were, you know, in your hometown of however many people it is. And maybe you weren't around that kind of environment or those ideas. So I think that can be really important to uh, people in early on in their journey as well.
2: Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, no one, everyone in my family thought me buying real estate was a horrible idea. <laughs> and, you know, like doing anything outside of W-2, put your head down and just get the, the uh, 401k, you know, and that's how you do it. Starting the business unit, everyone is against that. Getting into real estate, everyone's like, no, that's so risky, but so far so good.
1: Let's say today you're starting out in the market you're in, and you're early in your career. What would you do to get your very first deal? Maybe talk to that person who's you know trying to buy that very first deal in an expensive market. Let's call it Southern Maine. How would you do it creatively? What would you do?
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, so down here, I mean, a three bed can go for twenty four hundred a month in rent, you know. And now the I say multi units are one fifty to two hundred a unit, you know, as far as being able to get into them. So you just basically got to calculate that out. I mean, if you're going to pay 2400 a month to rent something, would you pay 2400 a month in a mortgage? You know what I mean? So say the mortgage is, you know, more than that, you know, if you're buying a large property, but you're able to live there and then knock your housing down to 1600 or something like that. You know, that's the way to look at it, not look at it as, you know, oh my god, I'm But that's, you know, you've got to come up with the down payments. Other ways are just to kind of partner with other people too. I mean, that's what I've kind of done with friends, like I said, as we started to grow. On a first one, if you've got, you know, somebody who's handy, but you've got money, that sort of thing. And like, all right, yeah, we're roommates now. Let's go, you know, get into an apartment together, you know, a four unit that way. Or getting your parents or someone else to sign off on the loans come up with the down payment that way, or do some sort of side hustle in the meantime to come up with the money. I would do whatever I could to kind of get that down payment, whatever it was necessary to get in there. But finding things off market, isn't that hard? As hard as it would think a lot of the stuff I've got is off market. A lot of that is emailing people date myself here, Craigslist, or, you know what I mean? Or, you know, when people show apartments for rent, just be like, are you interested in selling this? I've done that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, that's how I have. And I know many friends that that's how they've gotten a new, quite a large number of their deals. You know what I mean? Somebody that's tired or something like that, and you can get seller financing or you find something off market. Then all of a sudden you find somebody that, you know, doesn't really have a mortgage on it. They're sick and tired of doing it. And you come along and offer to take it off their hands. And then you're still selling, giving them a payment each month, you know, That's a good way to get into it. If you can get some sort of seller financing, you don't have to go through the banks and things like that. And then once you get a couple under you, now they offer these DSCR loans. Yes. Have you seen these, right? Mm -hmm. So these companies will do a mortgage on the properties, not necessarily you as an individual. So if you've got one or two going that you've been able to get seller financing or off market or FHAs, you can get the next ones with based on the properties if it's you know it's i think it's 1 to 10 units is what i've seen so far and those are like fixed at 5% for 30 years and they don't look at you as an individual so even if you don't have a high w2 income if you're able to find deals you'll be able to find the financing for them
1: man so, yeah that's what i love about real estate investing around is there's no limit to the creativity you can bring to a deal right so you've done a lot of different stuff house hacked Done HELOCs, done refinances, have bought things off market, found things creatively, done seller financing, which I think is a really awesome strategy that's worked well for me. So it just goes to show that, you know, if you think oh, I have to save up 20% for my first rental property and I'm in an expensive market and I'm not very handy and I don't know anything about real estate, it just goes to show there's a lot of ways to get to that final goal and you're kind of proof that it works. You've bought that very first fourplex. You did a few more fourplexes. I know you've grown and scaled your portfolio. So talk about where you're at now and how you've got to where you're at.
2: Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, as far as like what I own, you know, as a primary owner, I think I'm like, so it seems like it's always changing like 30 or 40 that are up in Maine that I own the majority of and then partnered on something down in Kentucky. And that came through Masterminds and things like that did a joint venture with guys down there, and that was 72 units that we just cashed out of a couple of weeks ago. So, nice. our money was, yeah, our money was in there for six or eight months, and now it's already back out, and we're deploying it to another probably about double that size with the same team. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that all came, that didn't come from me not talking to people. That came from that was a coaching mastermind, then it was another group of guys and another mastermind that kind of all networked through the same thing. And then kind of seems like I fell into it, but it was from, you know, reaching out to those people and like I said, networking, and then came up with these rock stars that, you know, we've been partnering with them on these out-of-state deals.
1: I love it. Well, Ryan, your story's is uh, very relatable to, I'm sure a lot of people out there, they're working a day job, they have aspirations for you know, building passive income in their lives, and real estate investing is obviously that vehicle that they're listening to this podcast for. And I think what you've done is a uh, very relatable and inspiring to a lot of people out there. So, thanks for sharing your story; it's super cool. As we're starting to wrap up here, let's end with a lightning round—just a series of questions we fire at every one of our guests. Are you up for it? Oh, I'm up for it. I'm game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The first question is: What was your biggest hurdle first getting started investing in real estate? Then what you do to overcome that?
2: That was, I guess, kind of just mindset and taking action. So I, once I kind of get into something, I say, "All right, I'm going to do it." So I just started listening to every single podcast I could on real estate, and then was analyzing every single property that came on the market. So then I didn't get that, you know, hesitation. I felt like I had everything, and I knew the numbers. I knew my numbers. I knew what I could offer, and immediately was able to go get it. So it was just kind of shifting from, oh, I can't invest in real estate to getting as much information in me in a short period of time to feel confident and make the decision to go at it.
1: I love it. Ryan. do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success?
2: Yeah, I just keep going. (laughs) I just grind. (laughs) That's all. I mean, you know what I mean? I think I just, once I get set on something, I just keep going after it until I get it.
1: Yeah. Very valuable skill to have. Do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day-to-day, Ryan?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I learn a lot just from, uh, following people on Instagram. And then, uh, I looked at bigger pockets for a bit, but I actually find more on like Instagram and YouTube, you know what I mean? And just yeah. finding and digging into to what I see other people doing more of its motivation to get out there.
1: I love it. Ryan. what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? For me
2: right now, I haven't been listening to as much real estate as I used to, but if, you know, I always have to say rich dad, poor dad, if you want to get that original mindset shift. Mm -hmm. Um, But later, like the ones of like who, not how and things like that to leverage other people. Because early on, I did everything myself. And now I've learned that I don't want to do anything. I want other people to do things. You know, it's a whole time freedom thing. Yeah.
1: Ryan, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20 year old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Ryan?
2: Go buy a four-unit now. That's what I would say. I mean, that's my advice to my kids and that's my advice to me.
1: Yeah, so. I love it. Ryan, hey, this has been a lot of fun with you kind of sharing your journey from you know the early days of working in W-2 to now well beyond financial freedom and growing and scaling your portfolio. Super motivational for, I'm sure, a lot of people out there. That you can look at you and say, hey, well, I could take that first step like Ryan did and then do that next thing and that next step and that next step. And wow, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the road, I could have a 100 plus unit portfolio. So thanks so much for sharing your journey. If people want to reach out to you, connect with you, learn more about what you're doing, where's the best place for them to find you?
2: All right now, it's definitely on Instagram and that's Maine Multifamily. That's M-A-I-N-E as in Maine as in the state Multifamily. Got it. You've been pro- there.
1: producing a ton of great content there. I follow you. That's how we connected. So go follow Ryan at mainmultifamily.com. Ryan, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Let's get you back on in the future.
0: You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice.